Welcome to all of you, and welcome to all who are listening on Torah Anytime and other platforms. Please press the follow button to receive ongoing Shear updates, and please share this year with at least two friends. With the advent of Sefer Shmos, the Parshios of Shmos, there has been renewed interest in my recently published Sefer, my recently published English Sefer regarding its Yes Mitzrayim. And I thought that I would provide a taste, a glimpse into the Sefer, particularly how it develops an early narrative in our parsha with some of the characteristic qualities which my Talmidim, which my fans are well familiar with. The ability to develop a Torah text organically as a whole, not linear, but as a whole, to develop that intimate relationship to a text by feeling its pulse, by hearing its rhythm, by weaving the pieces together as a cohesive tapestry. So with no further ado, let's dig right in. Pesach, the celebration of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, is characteristically a familial celebration. We all have the deep, primal, hopefully warm associations with a Seder, surrounded by family, perhaps upon the laps of grandparents, Bubba's and Zeta's and the like, all in fulfillment of the mitzvah Vigata Televincha, tell over the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim to your children. And we seek to share some of that warmth, some of that familial character with our own children and grandchildren. And generally, the way this is understood, Vigata Televincha is a vehicle of Mesorah, passing on the Mesorah to the next generation, because after all, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is the very basis of our Amun, our belief in Hashem and everything Yadas, everything which Yiddishkeit is about. However, we develop in the book a much grander thesis, that Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is actually all about children, all about the preciousness of the familial bond. And therefore, the way we celebrate our Seder, our embrace of our children, is actually a living, breathing expression of everything the redemption is about, the parent-child bond. Let's develop this from the text itself. Parsha Shmos opens with the slavery narrative. Paro induced us into servitude. Now, slavery is not unique to this story. Slavery has been a phenomenon throughout the annals of human history. And generally, we make an assumption that slavery is about labor procurement, economic production, or perhaps providing tribute, building monuments of glory to the evil king or dictator on top. And we tend to draw these subliminal associations between other slavery stories and Sheba Mitzrayim, the slavery in Mitzrayim. However, I posit, when we study the Pesachim of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim with fresh eyes, entirely different dynamic surfaces. The Chumash says what? 
Ubene Yisrael Paru Vayishritsu Vayarbu Vayatsmu Bamod Mod. The Jewish people grew by leaps and bounds. Children everywhere. Certainly, this is the way the anti Semites, the Mitzram, see it, as I've heard anti Semites saying, Jews, Jews, they're just reproducing wherever I go, right? That is how the enemies respond to our fixation on family and our large families and our constant chias and life and birthing of children. And seeing all of this, Vayomer Alamo, Paro tells his people, Hineam b'nei Yisrael rav atzumimenu, havanes chakmalu penyirba, v'hayikis krena mochama, v'nosef kamhu al-sineinu, he says, hey, these rapidly multiplying Jews are a fifth column amongst us who might overtake us and become loyal to an enemy of sorts. So it is in response to this overpopulation of Jews, to the development of this potential fifth column that he tells his people, he therefore induces us into slavery. A simple read of the text implies that slavery was actually a crude form of birth control or population control. He thought that what by enslaving the people, they would increase less. And Rishonim wrote this explicitly, whether the Balhaturim here in Shmos or the Ritva in his commentary to the Haggadah, they say that Paro believed that slavery conditions would physiologically break down the slaves and render them impotent, render them infertile and incapable of birthing viable children, or at least significantly decrease the, the, the virility and the fertility. And of course, one could ask, if you want to decrease the population, there are much straighter routes, kill people outright, or perhaps a program of sterilization. And various solutions are given. For example, Ramban suggests that there was still enough historical memory of Yosef, of the Jew who saved the Mitzrim, that Pyro understood he could not engage in outright sadism, at least initially, he had to engage in something a little more covert, right? So slavery as an indirect means of population control. The people will be less impotent, will be somewhat broken, and they won't produce children to the same extent. So actually, his motivation was not at all economic production. But physiological breakdown of the slaves, they would not reproduce. And that is why the Chumash says, Limananoso, he enslaved them in order to afflict them. If your motivation is economics, or as they said in the South, cotton is king. We need slaves for our cotton crop, for our economic engine. You don't want to torment your slaves needlessly. No, you want physically strong, physically capable slaves. You might not be a humanitarian, perhaps quite the contrary, but from your economic standpoint, you don't want a faulty slave, a faulty machine, as humans are dehumanized in slavery, but the point is you don't want to break down a slave that way. But understand that Paro was not motivated by economic production. It was Lamananoso in order to afflict them. And in line with this, we all know the Midrashic teaching of the Gemara and Sota, that he actually had them build unviable buildings that would collapse and sink. 
and thus create a much more frustrating building process, somewhat similar to what the Nazis did in the math house and concentration camp where they would have slaves engage in feudal tasks, which only breaks down the slave further. So clearly your goal is not economic production, but no, it's to break the slave. And in the case of Paro, to make the slave, to condition the slave to be less capable and drawn to searing children. Now, this is very hard for us to accept. We have so deeply seared into our consciousness that slavery is about economic production or other such things. We tend to, as I said before, subliminally draw comparisons between different slavery stories. But each slavery story, in truth, ought to be developed itself, organically, within itself, to do it justice. And certainly the divine story of Sheba and Mitzrayim needs to be developed from within the text itself, without any external assumptions to do it justice. And actually, everything we've developed so far from the Chumash, we actually have been giving voice to every year, perhaps without realizing it. When in the Haggadah, we say, the Haggadah interprets a Pasuk, Onyenu, our affliction, to mean, this is the dissolution of marital relations. We say the Egyptian affliction, Onyenu, was actually the separating of husband and wife. Well, what's that all about? It seems like a strange interpretation. Slavery is slavery, building the pyramids. No! The essence of the Inoi, according to the Haggadah, is the separation of husband and wife. Well, that's exactly it. We can own that statement in the Haggadah now. The Haggadah has laid bare, actually, what is implicit in the text itself. That is what slavery was all about. Right? And here we have a much more dramatic struggle developing here. The to be or not to be question in Mitzrayim. It's not simply a question of freedom of the human condition from induced labor conditions. No, it's an entirely different dynamic. It's an issue here of the parent-child bond, the viability of the Jewish family, everything we're going to celebrate forevermore at the Seder. That is what is in the, the crosshairs of Egyptian servitude. And with this in mind, when you read the continuing Pesukim, and you kind of hear their rhythm, feel their pulse, Something very powerful develops now. Because the Chumash says, the Yanwoso that ironically, to the extent the Mitzrim afflicted us, proportionally we grew. And the Pasuk continues, hence the Mitzrim became disgusted due to the Jewish people. Here you have the overlord, the sadistic overlord, not giddy, not gloating, but disgusted. Well, we know exactly why. Their entire motivation was to decrease the Jewish population. But ironically, no doubt, due to divine providence, Hashkacha, the opposite is happening. Jews are growing more. So how frustrating that must be when an entire program satanically devised to decrease the Jewish population is boomeranging an increased Jewish population. Indeed, the Mitzvah became disgusted. And let's continue to feel the pulse of the text from this perspective. It continues as follows. Now at this stage, the Mitzrayim work the Jewish people with body-breaking work. They embitter their lives. Suddenly we have new depictions of slavery, body-breaking work, embitterment. 
Unlike the original slavery narrative in the beginning of the passage where it simply says, so in order to afflict them. Well, now, post-Egyptian annoyance, it says body-breaking, embitterment of lives. Well, now we get exactly what's going on here. You see, when the original plot of population control via slavery did not yield the desired result, rather than backing down, the Mitzram doubled down, as people frequently do when, they, when their plans are not fulfilled. They don't, therefore, go back to the drawing board and reassess. They just push through harder and think what less has not achieved will now achieve through more. Let's, we just haven't worked them hard enough. Let's work those Jews hard enough. Let's beat up on them hard enough, right? And then we'll achieve the desired result. Right? So hence they upped the ante and how they embittered their lives. They broke their bodies, thinking now we'll be able to break the Jews so they won't reproduce. And so many midrashim fall right into place from this perspective, appreciating that the Mitzram are seeking to destroy Jewish family life. For example, the Shmos Rabbah's teaching that husbands were barred from returning home to their wives at night. Well, now it just makes all the sense in the world. That, that, that's what Egyptians are trying, the Mitzvah are trying to do. They're trying to preach us to our hearts, to impede family life. We also understand the rather heartwarming passages which describe how the righteous women, the Nashim Tzidkanias, tenderly lure their husbands to intimacy. Whether the famous Gemara and Soto, which says the Nashim Tzidkanias would join their laboring husbands in the field, and they came with food and provisions, they washed them, they lathered them, they fed them, and then drew them near. Right? Or the famous medrash cited by Rashi and Parshas Vayakal regarding the mirrors, the Maritzatzovos, which described how the wife would hold out her mirror in Mitzrayim, and she would tease her husband, saying, I am more beautiful than you, and thus provoke him to intimacy and connection. What is going on here is a concerted feminine effort to provoke men who are not motivated, right? This seems to be some sort of extra dose of Jewish femininity with all of its attraction and all of its love and all of its allure. Well, I believe what we're seeing here is fully calculated by the mitzvah. The mitzvah intended to break not only the Jewish bodies, but the Jewish drive for connection to spouse. This was an emotional sapping, right? unmotivating the people to be interested in their wives. They were simply struggling to survive. It was the Jewish women who fought back. Right? In the Revolutionary War, Thomas Penn fought with his pen, they say, right? the polemics which he wrote. Somehow a pen could somehow be stronger than a sword. Well, I will say somehow the av of a Jewish woman right, is more powerful, more stronger than a harpoon, stronger than an Egyptian whip was the mirror, was the love was the power of Jewish femininity here, which now leads us, leads us to a final reference, and I'll conclude with this. The, the above-cited Gemara concludes regarding these women who drew their husbands close, lathering them and washing them, washing them, lathering them, feeding them. It says, We were redeemed from the merit of these righteous women. Understand that the entire Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is attributed to the merit of these righteous women who were so dedicated to Jewish family life and relationship to spouse. Well, now that teaching, in light of all the work we did, now it glimmers, it sparkles. 
Well, of course we get it now. This was not just some mitzvah. This was overcoming the entire plot of the oppressor of Paro. The to be or not to be question in Mitzrayim is clinking close as a family, husbands with wives, producing of children, the family unit. So of course Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim is in the merit. This was the highest form of resistance. Those who fought back through the power of love, through the power of family, the sustainability of the Jewish family, Jewish spouse, and Jewish child. This is the very nekud of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim as we developed by feeling the pulse of the text itself as Shmos evolves. It all comes together. It all weaves together so magnificently. Now, truth be told, this is only the beginning. There is an entire book here called The Breathtaking Panorama, a sweeping thematic approach to Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim by Rabbi Yonah Scler. You could order it on Feldheim's website in better Jewish Judaica stores. We do so much more with this. This is only the beginning. Right? We take this general approach of weaving the text, the threads together, tightening the threads as a, as a tight, intimate coil and rope. We do so much more. I'm simply wetting your appetite. I guess this is a cliffhanger of sorts. Purchase the book. Do a deep dive. There is so much here. There's an entire new approach which will open up your eyes to the missing Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim story that was laying in front of you all along, waiting to be revealed. May we all be Zoha to pull back the curtain on entire new approaches, entire new ways to understand the Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim which we grew up in. Open my eyes so I might behold entire new vistas in Torah. This will leap forth from the book. Again, it is called The Breathtaking Panorama, a sweeping thematic approach to Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim by Rabbi Yonah Skler, deeply relevant to these parashios of Shmos, deeply relevant to Pesach, deeply relevant to all of Torah. Thank you very much. If I can please encourage you to press the follow button and also share this year with at least two friends. Thank you very much.